Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It is really good to be with you guys again. Man, I... uh... I went on a pastor's conference, and then I had the week off, and, and thank you so much to Dalton, is he here, who, who taught last week for us. Uh, it was so good. And it was also really good to just sit under the, just the authority of the Word of God, and just to sit under it. That was really nice. I, maybe you guys think that this series is going really well, which I'm thankful of God's truths, but I will tell you, the week before we left for the conference, I got off the stage, and I was like, goodness, I need a break. Whew, like I was just exhausted. And it was really sweet. I decided to nix the sermon that was going to be spoken on today while we were at the conference and and, and flip-flop the order. In fact, just hold, just toss out the one that I was going to do. Um, Without even meaning to, we've been doing this Consider Jesus series, which has been really saying, okay, I don't just want to like think about Jesus. I don't just want to think about what he said. I want to think who he is. I want to think like Jesus. I want my instincts to be transformed by Jesus. I, 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 need to, I need him in every situation, not just like what he speaks and so that I fill my mind and go on my day. No, I need to be what he has spoken. I need it. I need it. And so this is considering Jesus, this whole series of really saying like, okay, how did Jesus actually teach? How did he actually walk? Uh, Where the writer of Hebrews says, says, consider him who endured so much hostility that we do not lose heart. And so we've been really saying like, okay, Jesus did not have a fun road. (laughs) He had a hostile road. And he treated people with love despite the hostility, yet still did it with such divinity, right? He is, he's God, but also just this ability of love that now he's departed on us, his spirit. And so I want to learn from you, Jesus. And so in a second, we are going to be opening up to uh, John, not John, Luke 19. Okay. And what I, what I realized through doing this is I just picked stories that our staff really just spoke like this, this story just resonates with where our church is or this. And we, we just named like 18. It was a ton of stories of Jesus. And then we narrowed it down to, to like seven. And what I didn't realize is all of the stories are in Luke. <laughs> and it's been really neat. Like back to back to it, they've all been in Luke. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to submit to that like the whole time. So this week, uh, we are in Luke 19 when Jesus is entering into Jericho. And what I love is Easter's coming up, guys, and I've never preached an Easter sermon over Luke uh, itself. I've done many other of the Gospels, but I'm like, all right, we're going to see what you're going to do, God. I'm just going to carry on the story of of Luke's Gospel in this. Um, Because what happens in this chapter is really beautiful. We're going to spend two weeks on this chapter, his time in Jericho. Jericho was the gateway to Jesus's path. It was a gateway to his passion, his death. Uh, Quite literally, Jericho at the time was a port city. It was a uh, a city that passerbys, like if you're traveling and going to, to Jerusalem, you would stay the night in Jericho. And it was the gateway to the big city, Jerusalem. What I love though, is this particular time, Jesus is walking into Jericho, knowing that he's about to walk through Jericho, walking into Jerusalem where people are going to say, Hosanna, 
on the first part of the week, and then the last part of the week, y'all crucify him. Like already, Jesus is entering into Jericho, knowing he's going to leave, create a little bit of a riot in what he's going to do today and, and next week, and then go to a city to die. That's where we're at. And I'm really excited to travel in this and sit in it. Um, but two, two weeks in Jericho, can, you, can we sit in that? Uh, if you know anything about Jericho, the walls were once really strong and fortified, and then the people of God circled around Jericho. Do you remember? And the walls collapsed. Joshua cursed this city, uh, which is an interesting thing. Uh, he cursed the city that anyone who would rebuild it would lose a firstborn during the building process and at the final process. So two lost babies would come to the one, and it's just a mess. Like, it's heart, It's heartbreaking. But this city keeps getting rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed, and now Jesus is visiting it. Crazy. Cool little story. You can write that down, read it later. But 19, verse 1, Jesus is in Jericho. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. And yes, we're not going to have uh, any slides up here. So if you want to read with me, you can open up Luke 19. All right, some of you are going to have to use your like actual Bibles today or uh, that app. Uh, Verse 3 said he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was short in stature. Maybe you remember a little like song if you were in children's ministry growing up, like about a wee little Zacchaeus. Yeah. Um, Other ones, it's okay. You're blessed to not hear that song. Uh, Verse 4, it says, so he ran ahead, Zacchaeus, and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus because he he was about to pass away that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, to the tree, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down from the tree and was happy to welcome him. Verse 7, all who saw this began to grumble and said, has he gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stood there, and Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. All right, we're going to sit in this story a bit. Ten short verses. All right, I, we are, I have notes. If you're going to be willing to take some notes today, I will, I will not speak quickly so that you can, can write it down. But I encourage you to take notes today because this passage is really beautiful. God, he gave me a different tone to speak today than normal. Um, and I, I really was, was heartbroken for what I'm about to get into uh, and really just imploring us as a church to do and following what Jesus is doing. Are you ready? So we see Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector. If you know anything about 
tax collectors of the day, they were hated, especially those who were Jewish. And what Rome did is they knew uh, we could bring our own people to rule the people, but it's even better if we can hire, train up people from within to rule. And so they would get, uh, they would get young men of Jewish descent and train them to be tax collectors. Zacchaeus, by his name, proves that he's a Jew. So those were even more hated because these are like outcasts. They're, how could you hurt your people like this and tax them and, and benefit yourself in it? And they were, they were crooks. They, it, was, it was messed up. But I love that, that Luke is very intentional. It says he was a tax collector and he was rich. The chapter before this, there was another individual called Rich. And it was the rich young ruler. And in a very beautiful way, chapter 18 with the rich young ruler and chapter 19, if y'all want to do some fun Bible reading this week, uh, you should contrast those two stories as you read the characters of each of them. It's crazy. This is another rich man, but responds so differently to Jesus. It is another rich man that, that's seeing a little differently who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. But we're right here in, in Jericho. And so uh, the Zacchaeus, the ruler, came up close, but Zacchaeus didn't even try. He climbs up a tree. Uh, now, we got some really tall guys in the room, and we have, I'm sure, some really short guys. Uh, it's hard to see through tall people when you're short. It, I mean, it's hard. And so Zacchaeus is known of this, but it's interesting. It says that, that the text was saying that he was trying to see who Jesus was. If you have a Bible, write that. He's like underline that. He's trying to see who Jesus is. And what I love about that, the word see means he's trying to understand. That word see means he's trying to experience who Jesus is. He's, it's not just this, uh, I want to know what kind of guy he is, but he's intentionally like, I want to know him. Oh, I want to see, I want to understand him. He was a man who longed to see Jesus, that word, like to learn, to know, and then to grow in the experience of knowing. It's this beautiful thing that he was unable to do because of the crowd. And I, I just need you to keep hearing that. Like he was unable to do it because of the crowd. He couldn't see. He was short. I will tell you right now that the building up of a crowd, like, will just naturally happen as the, world, the will of the Father is done. It will happen. Like, I need you to, crowd is not bad. The building up of a crowd will happen as the Father's will breaks forth in the earth. It will. Something happens that's shocking, everyone wants to see it, right? Something happens like a miracle, everyone wants to see it. Something happens that's, uh, that's maybe a take back or it's like, ooh, it's scandalous, everyone wants in. It's not a bad thing that the crowd happened, but we often get distracted with the beauty of the crowd and realize that Jesus had a mission despite the crowd often. Like he welcomed them. I will teach you. I will show you, but you're not going to distract my purpose. He wasn't for the crowd in that. He was, Jesus says he leaves the crowd for the one. And this is a beautiful display of that. He leaves the crowd for the one he welcomes them, but he pursues the one. Sadly, though, even a crowd on a Sunday gathering can become a little bit of a distraction unless we choose to consider Jesus. And I need to sit on this crowd thing. Um, my heart really broke for Zacchaeus. And if I can encourage you, there is probably a minority in the room who can resonate with Zacchaeus. And I'm, I, you need to be seen today. The majority of you, though, 
let's not resonate with the crowd. But we do too often. Okay, so I'm going to sit in this a little bit because a crowd gets in the way of Jesus being seen. If you want to write something down, write this. Masses of people without a unified mission will always block an onlooker from seeing Jesus. It will. United mission. And when I say that, I don't mean a united mission together. I'm saying a united mission, one first with the Father and then together. And we could see how in the world this all messes up. Uh, a crowd can sometimes be like, it has to be Jesus first. Or else, if we're united, but not united to Jesus, that has a name. That's called a cult. Right? Like, if we're united, but not united with Jesus, that's a click. If we're united, so a united mission in and of itself isn't good. I mean, everyone in that crowd had, they might have had a united mission. Let's talk to Jesus. We want to see this rabbi. Everyone wanted a hand in it. Everyone wanted to know. They might have been united in a mission, but not united to his mission. Do you see the difference? But it's interesting, we, uh, we can, in our world, be united to something, a social justice cause that we raise, but it's not submitted first under a Jewish rabbi who has changed us. And so then people see this, and the onlookers don't see Jesus. Does that make sense? Sometimes a crowd can be two. It could be two. It could be a marriage where they might be unified in some decisions, but they're not submitted under the unity of God. And so their marriage, instead of showcasing Jesus, is a crowd around Jesus. And there's onlookers who can't see. Sometimes it's, it's consensual adults doing what they will and they're united in it, but from the outside, I can't see Jesus anymore. Sometimes it is, uh, it's a group of well-meaning friends who look the same, who act the same, who are the same age, the same color, and though we're together, what happens is as we are united from the outside, I can't see Jesus. And this is anything. This is anything. We cannot be united together out of submission to Jesus. Because then the very thing that we are coming here to look at is not being seen by the very people he's pursuing, right? The one. And so it's this nasty little mess up. Jesus's united mission, though, is just beautiful. He brings to the world a kingdom way, and he walks right up to Zacchaeus. And can you, like, can you feel the, cro- the cultural boundaries that he's crossing in this? He walks, up to Jesus, or he walks up to Zacchaeus and instantly social cues are crossed. It instantly, like, you just don't do that. He speaks, he's the same God who spoke openly with a Samaritan woman, a different ethnicity, now racial tension. And he's the same God who speaks, speaks openly with her and says, it's not about you or me in this sense of Jew or Samaritan. It's about the Savior, like the water of life. You Jews say this, you know, no, no, even the Jews are getting it wrong. We see they hung him on a cross. No, it's about the living water. And it's, it's interesting though, Jesus's way will always say what the crowd is looking into is often missing where Jesus is walking to. Always, like his way is just so different. It crosses economic barriers. Zacchaeus is rich, but he's sinful, right? 
He's wretched. He's what we could say abominable. Uh, wow, abominable. Goodness, I can't even say it. It's okay, we're moving on. How dare Zacchaeus, though, claim that he could be a Jew and now gets our Messiah, our rabbi? No, that doesn't make sense. And then the woman from last week's message, Dalton, uh, thank you so much. He taught over the hunched back woman. I think he's in our kids' classes right now. Jesus, he crosses social barriers. This woman who you don't talk to a woman in a synagogue. You definitely do not do what he did on the Sabbath. He healed her. But he did it. And the way of Jesus will always say, crowds, like, you're missing the point. I wrote this, that a mass gathering without Christ's mission will end up excluding and tainting Christ's mission. Like, we we cannot just come to this place um, all looking in. Because often when we just look in, it is now not the mission of Christ, which therefore then blocks the sight of Christ for those looking in. Does that make sense? Like, that's a weird way to put it. But my heart just breaks for the Zacchaeuses because how many times have they done this? So I just wrote, sometimes a crowd is a dozen disciples who turn away children from seeing Jesus, right? Sometimes it's a group of well-meaning friends but they, uh, they unintentionally block people from knowing the Savior because other people who are looking in don't see their hurt there. They, where Jesus constantly goes out to the outcast, the individual, the marginalized, and brings them in, we, we got to realize sometimes uh, a crowd can just be one person. It's an interesting thing as uh, anyone, uh, I'll just be the first to say, anyone ever feel like your brain is crowded? Thank, thank you. Anyone ever feel like your emotions are crowded, crowded emotions? Anyone ever feel like your, um, your feelings, your thoughts, your nights are crowded? Anyone, am I normal in this? Okay. Sometimes the one person can be a crowd. Some of you think like, wow, Greg, I feel like he just sees me when I'm struggling. And it's not it. It's actually like, typically, I think we can all see Jesus through each other when we're living with vulnerability, Right? But the moment we start submitting to the crowd of sin in our mind or fears or insecurities, it's harder to see Jesus in each other, right? It's often not that I know that you sinned or it's often not that someone knows that you're just struggling or in shame. They can just see the click. I don't see Jesus in that attitude anymore. What's going on? See, sometimes a crowd can even just be one person. But the point of all this is not the crowd. It's Zacchaeus. Sometimes a crowd can be a church in the inner city of Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm going to be the first to say this. Are you ready? Sometimes a crowd can be a church in the inner city of Kansas City, Missouri, who has a beautiful building and a wonderful glass windows out there that can sometimes be like a fishbowl. Many people walk by and look in and wonder why we're looking one direction and always wonder, do I have a place there? And so we do a work through the week of try to reach out, but the minority of us do that. I mean, the people in our room that, that live these streets and walk these streets, there needs to be more. And we cannot think that they're going to walk in here because like Zacchaeus, the crowd is too full. It's too tall. I want Jesus, but I don't see Jesus. Ah, uh, Right? I want Jesus, but I don't see Jesus. I'll climb up and wait for him to come. 
How many people are not coming in here because through the windows, they see a crowd looking in word. And I wrote this, what if some of our selfish attention to Jesus, some of you keep having this selfish attention to Jesus, this Americanized view of faith that it's me and him. What if our selfish attention to Jesus has not matured us to attending others like Jesus did? Like selfish attention is different than attending others like Jesus did. My needs can be, his yoke is easy. My needs can be met at the same time of me doing the walk of the Father, the will of Jesus. That's the beauty. Jesus on the road meets the needs of the disciples. We don't have to like constantly just hunker in. It's just so really, I mean, I was, whew, sometimes it can look like a church that many peer in seeing a lot of people giving, to Jesus, giving attention to Jesus, but don't see Jesus. Like, let that hit you. Like, it gets me. Jesus' involvement with the crowd never distracted his way. So he goes, and I'm going to coin this phrase for you as you think, he goes to the tree climber. He goes to the tree climber. Jesus, in the crowd, goes to the tree climber. Like, I want to go to the tree climbers. I want to go to the tree climbers in our church, in our city, on our streets, in our neighborhoods. Wait, this is the, he doesn't wait for the tree climber to come to him. And I was just challenged, uh, like the woman at the well, she's a tree climber. Jesus goes to her. A woman who has been seeking, I need hope. I need, I, I'm, I, I need something. Jesus meets her. I was really, really convicted by this, and I'll be the really quick at the pastor's conference, one of the last sermons there. Uh, the, the, the pastor co- uh, contrasted um, the role of the disciples and the role of the Samaritan woman. Are you ready? Said at one point, we can see the disciples coming back from the, the city of Samaria with full bellies to Jesus, empty-handed full bellies. And then in the same instance, we see a woman coming back to the well with Jesus with a whole city, empty belly in that sense, full hands. And then he said this, he says, sometimes the ones who know him the best are the ones who talk about him the least. We can't be a crowd. We can't. The point of the gospel is to not fill my bellies not fill myself. The point of the gospel is now I am a co-heir with Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies. I've been given the message of the ministry of reconciliation, which is literally Christ making his appeal for us. The Father is now being, we are being reconciled to the Father. Like that's the point. The ministry of reconciliation, the message of it is your job. It's your job. Not for us to passively wait for that to come to us. Not for us to passively wait for it. He goes to the tree climbers. He does. I ache for the tree climbers. For those who like all around us are seeking, uh, but because we're looking inward, we don't see them, but Jesus does. And he goes to that tree and he says, this is Zacchaeus. It's verse five. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and calm down for I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus hurries down and was happy to welcome him. 
Now, there's a beautiful like, play of words that Jesus is making, okay? We're going to sit on this phrase, this command, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house. Are you ready for this fun word play in the Greek? It, it's like a double meaning. I, that I must stay. That word means remain. That word in the Greek means abide. It means to tarry there. But then the next one, house, it's the word oikos. It's like the, the, the yogurt, the Greek yogurt, right? Did you know that that actually is a, a Greek word? It means dwelling place. But not only that, it also means family line. You're the lineage that you're part of. And so I must stay at your oikos today. That word today means this day and every day. It actually has this double meaning of like both this moment, but every time it's called today. And so Jesus is literally saying, uh, Zacchaeus, I must come to your home. I must abide in your family line always. That's the invitation. I must abide in your family line always. Zacchaeus hurries down. It's the same wording that Jesus would say, today salvation has come to this house, this family line, this oikos. It's beautiful. This day it's come, finally. Jesus didn't wait for Zacchaeus to come to him. He, he didn't wait for him to go back to the synagogue. He goes to the tree climbers. So if you want, we've always considered Jesus, right? That's been the little phrase. Can we consider Jesus? Consider him who looks in the trees and goes to those who are seeking. Like, who are the tree climbers in your life? Like, who are the tree climbers? Now, I want to really understand, like, what does that even mean? Like, who are the tree climbers? Because it's interesting. Consider him who did something knowing that there would be ridicule for it. He knew that going to Zacchaeus would cause grumbling. It would cause mocking. It would cause another reason to crucify me in a few days. It would. It would be another reason, but I'm going to do it because I'm here to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus, I'm here to seek and save the lost. The people of Israel are high alert at this Jesus now who eats with sinners. But I really like, I just prayed over and over this week, God, will you give me eyes to see the tree climbers? Like, will you give me eyes, those who are seeking, who will not come to this place because there is so much preconceived pain from this place that they don't see Jesus in it anymore. They're afraid to see. Zacchaeus had no place in the crowd of Jews. Jesus, will you give me eyes to see people who are, this place is too polished for them, so they won't come. It's too scary for them. It's too white for them. It's too clean for them. It's whatever. Like, will you give us eyes to see? It's too young for them. We need the people who are wise to come into this place. We should not, yeah, it's too young for them. Will we be able to go out to the tree climbers? Like, will we see them? The many people who are seeking, but do not see themselves here, let alone Jesus, and so don't know how to do it. Don't know how to come in. His, this is his kingdom place as well. Give me eyes to see the trees. It's like, give me eyes to see in the trees. And then I love this. Here's, uh, can I just tell you, verse seven says, all who saw it began to grumble and said, has he gone to be at the guest of one who is a sinner? And verse eight happens. Zacchaeus stands there. 
I'm sure he heard the grumblings. Have you ever, do you remember going back into, into that church for the first time after you had, had done things and your things had been known to people and you heard the grumbling and you felt it? Yeah, and you had this like, this conversation with the Lord in it. You just need to talk to God. Like, I really feel like that's what this is. Like he hears and feels the grumbling of like, you're sitting with a sinner. And instead of combating that, he literally says, I am. Will you look? I've given half of my possessions. In fact, like if I've defrauded anyone, what he's doing right now is literally saying he's going to do the law of Moses. In Exodus 22, it says, if anyone has thieved, if anyone has stolen, they must give four times as much. He's already saying, I am doing my part to rectify my sin which is what the people of God were called to do. Do your part to be uh, holy. Obviously, that's not going to happen, right? Holiness on our own. But he's saying, I am seeking freedom in this. Like, I'm seeking to be free. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come. What Zacchaeus is doing is owning his sins, which the crowd is not doing, literally. The word, the phrase... He who eats with a sinner is always given by people who are disowning the fact that they are sinners. <laughs> it is. It, it always is that way. And what I love, though, the question that I'm trying to get at as we end this is then how do we spot the tree climbers? Anyone ever wonder that? How do we know who the tree climbers are? God, like, give us eyes to see the tree. What, what separated Zacchaeus in this moment? And I'm going to give you this really quickly. And then... I'm going to give you this really quickly, and then we are going to wrap it up. You see, it says this. What I love is a lot of theologians, sorry, my notes went all the way back to the top. A lot of theologians think that Zacchaeus was actually one of the the tax collectors that John the Baptist spoke to. Um, If I can give you a new way to look at Zacchaeus, a tree climber, are you ready? He has some preconceived ideas of Jesus already, right? He already knows something about him. Many people believe because of the the wording, I give half. Maybe some of your translations say, I will give. The wording is actually present tense, not future tense in the Greek. And so like, I am giving half of my possessions to poor. And if I defraud anyone, if I have, and if it comes out that I, I will give for in the future. And so it's, I give presently. I'm already trying to rectify this. And a lot of theologians connect this to John the Baptist's claim in Luke 3. And so I'm going to read it to you because it's going to deal with the crowd, but it's going to help us understand who the seekers are, who the tree climbers are, okay? John says this to the crowds that came. He says in uh, Luke 3, verse 7, he calls them, they come out to be baptized by him, and he calls them, you brood of vipers. That's fun. Uh, I'm like, I'm out. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, which means we're good to go. We, we are child, children of God. No, but instead, like I'll tell you, John says, God is able from these stones to raise up children to the Lord. But now the axe is laying 
the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. And so the crowds, the eyes open, they start asking John, what should we do? And in reply, he says this, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food, do likewise. In verse 12, even the tax collectors who are hearing came to be baptized and they ask, teacher, what must we do? And verse 13 says, he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. In verse 15, it says, the people were filled with expectation. What I love is he is telling them in this, bear fruits worthy of repentance. How do we know when someone is a, a, a tree climber? Because their life is starting to bear fruits worthy of repentance. What does that look like? Like, I really, I, I, I need you to think of this. What, what does that look like? Outside of this place, like, sometimes bearing fruits worthy of the repentance is, no, Jesus hasn't been met by me yet. But, like, my heart is aching for my sin. You know anyone like that? My heart, like, I'm realizing that my marriage is failing. That's a heart showing fruits of repentance, ready for repentance. Does that make sense? Already, like I'm noticing I don't want a parent like my parents did, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it, and I'm trying to seek understanding that's a heart ready for repentance. We need to have eyes that see that hearts are bearing fruits of repentance. Now, has it been a fruit of salvation yet? No, they haven't met Jesus. But bear fruits of repentance, the world. Like that's, they are, are trying to end that addiction. They're desiring truth. They're desiring hope. They're Googling all the time. Is there meaning to life? These are the people who are climbing up trees. Can I tell you right behind our building is a tree? It's an apartment complex full of people who struggle with homosexuality, full of people who struggle with addiction, full of people who struggle with pain, and they are seeking. We get the benefit of knowing them in our food pantry. Do we go to tree climbers? That apartment complex is full of tree climbers who, if they could, they'd be Googling, how do I get free of this? How? They're seeking we need eyes to see tree climbers. They, they, are, they are climbing up their exhaustive prayers, hopeless nights searching for hope, pursuing the Lord. God, who are you? Do you spot them? People are bearing fruits of repentance in your office place. Are you ready? This is how we can see it. The human response to seeking God but missing Jesus in it I need you to realize this. It's always trying to gain higher ground. This is how Jesus could see Zacchaeus. And I, need to, I will make sense of this. A heart that is seeking God but missing the truth of Jesus will always try to seek higher ground. They will always try to get over their addictions themselves. They will always try to, 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 to get on the other end of where they're at. They're seeking a higher place, like higher understanding, higher knowledge, and that, it, yeah, they are ripe for truth because he is it. And what I love is from below, he says, climbing up is not going to get you anything. Come down. I want to meet you here in this. Whereas like the world thinks I got to climb above these problems. Jesus is like, come down in it with me. I want to dine with you tonight. And this is who we are. They're trying to climb up out of their addiction on their own. How about we go to them and say, tonight I'm eating with you tonight. 
I'm going to dine with you in it. I'm going to be with you presently in your problems. You're like, well, that's not clean. Exactly. Do you know an addict? Do you know someone who is struggling with bulimia and anorexia? Do you know someone who is struggling with isolation? Do you know someone who is struggling in hopeless nights? Do you say, come down from this, this, this pursuit of hope? Come down from it and I'm going to eat with you. I'm, I, like, I want to know you. The issue, the difference between Jesus in this moment and any other rabbi is Jesus had the moral beliefs of every rabbi, but it did not prohibit him from being with the unholy. That's how Zacchaeus knew this was different. This means your people in your life who are seeking need to know your moral beliefs and the oxymoron life of you can have those beliefs and want to hang out with them. Boom, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's how they saw, that's how he knew this is Jesus who wants me. He's a, he's a rabbi who knows that I'm a sinner, but he wants me. These are, this is a church that knows that I'm a sinner, but they welcome me. This is a family that knows that I'm a, a thief and they welcome me. Like it, that's, that has to be the life that we live. The human response, and the human response to seeking God without Jesus will always be to gain higher ground. Look at the trees. See what they're growing. They're, they're trying to scale. They're trying to work more hours. Think of the overhaul, like the workaholics in your, your, your place. They are trying to get things covered up. They don't want to deal with it. See those trying to gain higher ground, trying to, to cover up issues, trying to fix it, their life themselves. Will you dine with them? Will you? So I'll ask again, like, do you know tree climbers in your life? Do you know tree climbers in your life? Do you? If you don't, I encourage you, Jesus, give me eyes to see tree climbers. Because if we're just a crowd, we are standing in the way of Jesus. And what I know is anything standing in the way of Jesus will not be standing for very long right? So I'm going to go the way of Jesus. We're going to go the way of Jesus. There, there's this beautiful thing. What if we like had like table moments with people? Like what if we did that? Like what if we like had open dialogue moments with people in their messiness? Like what if we did that? Like don't have to wait till them to come here. This is such a safe place for you. It is. We want people to come to church so that you don't have to talk and I can talk for you. It is. Now, this should be a place where people can hear the gospel and I hope they do as we keep growing and growing, but it's it's secondary to your day in and day out pursuit of Jesus because you've got tree climbers around who you can walk up to and say, hurry down, come on down, come on down. And then he speaks this, Today, salvation has come to this house. There's this beautiful um, blessing and a curse that's spoken in Exodus. And I'm going to end it with this. God says that the sins of one generation, unrepentant sins and out, out loud uh, rebellion toward him will inadvertently 
the Exodus, this is an Exodus, will inadvertently be um, visited onto the generations behind the third and fourth generations, up to those. So this is why we see addictions carry family lines. This is why we see generational curses like abuse carry, because it's just the sad reality is, is things will pass on. But then in the same breath, the same verse, it says, but to those who follow, blessings will be passed down for thousands of generations. So the beauty of what Jesus just did in Zacchaeus is salvation came to that family line, meaning it would inadvertently be now transferred, like hope could be given. That, that, that dad is going to lead differently. You see, what I'm all about, and this is what our prayer team did as we cleaned up the streets yesterday. Uh, this is what we did yesterday. We paused, like, can salvation come to this business? There, there is a, uh, there's a strip club. There's a porn place. There's a, a, a place where a lot of addictions, addicts go. There's, there's all up and down truths. And so what we were doing, we were walking. Can one person be saved in here? So that that inadvertently affects one, their generations to come, but it, it transforms this tree, this apartment complex, this place. Can just one, can you seek those people? Can just one person change in your job, salvation, and let that ripple effect happen? Can just one? It's not my job to do it. It's my job to do it to those in my my, my walk, my neighborhood, and I've got some tree climbers in my neighborhood. God's already been like, you need to spark up those conversations again. But it's not my job to do it for the people that God has anointed you, given you authority to walk up to. Say, hurry down. I want to eat with you. You can walk into homes that I can't. And I can walk into homes that you can't. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.